out there and welcome back to the GameCockScoop.com podcast, the official podcast of GameCockScoop.com on Rivals. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening now so that you get the update every week when we post this or go live or wherever you like to listen to podcasts. Um, Let's talk a lot of things today. So we are officially in talking season, off season, no sports for the foreseeable future until the end of August, like no actual live sports to talk about. Um, this is where it gets fun. You know, I, we were talking about what uh, ideas that uh, we should write about throughout the off season. I, I still liked my, which sec quarterback would win in a round Robin Batman tournament. I thought that that would be really <laughs> worth diving into, you know, the answer is uh, Kai Kroger. He's not a quarterback, but he'll figure it out. <laughs> That's true. Didn't they uh, just win cornhole or whatever the other night? Yeah, I think they did. So there you go. Yeah, they, had, games. they had some sort of uh, event at one of the camps uh, last week. I, I believe it was during the official visit weekend, if I'm not mistaken. Anyway, uh, the coaches made it to the semifinals, but um, Kai Kroger and Mitch Jeter, I think, took away the the crown there. It was a surprise point. I think a friend in high school that was like this, where it was like, if there was something that no one has any business being good at they're like perfect <laughs> at it like like why why are you so good at that i don't know but um anyway uh before we get into wrapping up the baseball season talking a little bit about uh the upcoming football season and and then next season schedule which just dropped yesterday let's talk a bit a little a little bit about recruiting which is how we always start um a couple of notes on targets and commits uh so dante reno is participating in the elite 11 finals this week uh, i did an interview with him when he got uh the in- invite uh, about a month ago so if you just like go to gamecocksgroup.com and search dante reno elite 11 finals i'm sure you can find it or google that with gamecocksgroup.com um but yeah really really interesting there uh, i haven't heard a ton other than just seeing a couple clips of him here and there about how that's going yet, but we'll have a full breakdown of that once the uh, event is over. Uh, another relevant note, Dylan Stewart, who we've talked about is kind of the big fish, uh, a la like Nicholas Harbor uh, in the last class, uh, the big fish in the 2024 class is Dylan Stewart. Um, he officially earned his fifth star from rivals this week uh, as they're rolling out the new rivals rankings for 2024. Um, there's also, I know Adam Gorney is out at the lead 11 finals watching Dante Reno. He mentioned that there's a possibility that he could play his way into a, uh, rivals 250 ranking. So those are all things to sort of look for going forward. Um, and then we've talked about the three big recruiting weekends in June for South Carolina. This is the one weekend that's off. Um, I'm assuming because of father's day, which is actually pretty cool, uh, that, uh, they're kind of building the schedule so that. The coaches get time with their fathers that players that would potentially be coming would be spending time with their fathers whatever so um so there's not a big official visit weekend this weekend but there have been two already and then of course the really big one with dylan stewart and all those folks is next weekend uh coming out of last weekend we had three welcome homes one of those has been revealed to be mason love the punter we, we talked, talked about, about him last week, week. Yep. <laughs> uh we are soothsayers apparently it's about time. I felt like we were we were missing things. Yeah, we were on a bit of a cold streak there <laughs> before that one. 
Um, so yeah, as I said, Rivals doesn't really rank specialists for the most part, but he's a full scholarship offer, um, which tells you what P Limbo thinks about him, which in my book is all that really matters. But also, um, Cole's Kicking is a recruiting service that kind of focuses on specialists. And I believe he's ranked the number five kicker in the country. He's a five star by their rating system. So by all accounts, a good kicker. And, and like I said, he came and kicked in person uh, in front of Limbo and Limbo gave him a scholarship offer. And I think he's earned enough street cred at this point. To yeah, I know what he's so. looking for there. Um, so, yeah, that's that's exciting. And then we have two others that are not revealed yet. Um could have one of those revealed as early as tomorrow. Uh, and then the other one, I don't have a strict timeline on yet, but I would say soonish. Uh, I don't think either are going to like stand out to people that aren't paying attention because neither are like five stars or anything like that. But I think both under the radar, very interesting prospects. Um, we can dive in more to the specifics once they're revealed. Obviously, don't want to reveal too much, but let's just say... Nicky Man Worry vibes uh, from these, where it's like came in, put up some pretty solid camp numbers, and then earned an offer that way. And you're like, okay, well, maybe this person was just under the radar. Sometimes that happens, right? Uh, a lot of how the rankings for this these various recruiting sites work is maybe you're at a big school, so you got a big profile. Maybe you go to a sponsored camp and, and get on the radar that way. But there's still plenty of, of players that don't do either of those things um, that kind of fly under the radar for a bit until the right uh, person finds them, which if you look at Nick Amemori's offer list before South Carolina offered and his offer list by the time uh, he the final rankings came out and he was a four-star of our rivals, looks very different, right? Sometimes it's just about timing. So that's my feel on these two commits that we will talk more in detail about later. Um, I think that's all I had from a recruiting standpoint. Yeah. Yeah, I feel good about it. All right. Um, let's talk a little baseball. So the 2023 season obviously ended a little sooner than perhaps uh, everyone wanted. Didn't make it to Omaha. Uh, really solid showing, I thought, especially in game one against Florida. Felt like that one could have gone either way. Um, when you get into those last 16 teams, especially when you're playing the number two overall seed, uh, the margin of error is very, very, very slim. And the ball just sort of bounced the wrong way on that one. Um, I don't know. We, we kind of talked about, like, is there a scenario where you go out and completely embarrass yourself somehow in a super regional and, and that leaves a stain on the season. I don't think they embarrass themselves at all. I thought, I thought they competed, um, but ultimately came up short. Florida's probably the slightly better team, slightly deeper team, especially yeah. when you on look the at the way that, yeah, in, injuries stacked up uh, from a pitching perspective. So, yeah, any other takeaways from just that series in particular? Yeah, I, I guess you're kind of looking at big picture. You're looking at season wrap. I don't have a ton on the series. You lost to a better team on the road. I think the bigger thing is how do you make sure you're not in that position again? They were tracking for a national seed for 80% of the year. They could have had a super founders park. Um, you fall down the stretch. You have some injuries. You have some bad breaks. All right. Now you have a super on the road. You get a bad draw and that's how you end up short. Um, season in total. What are we calling that? Seven out of 10, eight out of 10. Yeah. Fair. 
let's call it a seven and a half just with the difference sure <laughs> yeah no i uh i think you met expectations yeah um i don't think you exceeded them i think there were parts of the season where it felt like you might exceed them uh then you kind of came back to earth and ultimately i think had a solid enough postseason that you feel like you met the preseason expectations now did you meet the mid-season coming off of a sweep of florida no. uh number two overall in the country expectations no but i don't know if those expectations were entirely fair to begin with i think you were maybe playing a little over your head and then obviously the injuries stacked up and and really sealed a lot of the the deal there but yeah i mean i i, I don't think this was a bad season i don't think that you ha have a whole lot of criticism towards mark kingston after the season but um, what you just brought up is a, is a good question. Like, where do you go from here? Um, I think you're going to have to do some work in the portal this offseason. Um, Pitching-wise, mainly. I actually think especially this lineup, wise. like, you stack it up. All right, Petri's back. Messina's back. Lee Croy's back. That's a pretty good three to start right there. Um, Gavin Castle's probably back. He had some nice – like, you can start to piece a lineup together, and then you think, all right, Will Sanders is going to be gone. Noah Hall is going to be gone. Jack Mahoney is going to be gone. James Hicks is going to be gone. You got a lot what, of work to do starting pitching-wise. And what we've heard about the highly anticipated freshman Eli Jerzenbeck, uh, we talked about this back with the injury. Nothing official has been said, so you know, don't take this as uh, – don't don't cement this, but we've heard that that injury could linger into next season. Um, and at the very least, he probably won't start the season fully healthy. You're, and it's possible you're that at, he might not make it all. You're the looking back. at probably right now for your weekend rotation next year, sitting here on June fifteenth. So again, nine months, whatever. Eli Jones, Matthew Becker, and maybe Roman Kimball, the Notre Dame transfer who got hurt last year in the fall. Um, which you can do worse than that, but I also think they're going to have to do better than that. Yeah, and we have already seen in the portal Dalton Reeves and Garrett Ganey. Mm -hmm. um, that creates some bullpen depth, but th neither of those guys are people you'd expect to, or that you'd necessarily want, right? Sitting in June uh, to be penciled in as a starter, so that's going to be interesting. I do think uh, getting Roman Kimball back from Notre Dame uh, after that Tommy John surgery, assuming he's fully healthy, definitely gives you a little bit of flexibility. Um, yeah, I think that's going to be the question, uh, throughout this off season and until we start to see some of those, uh, portal targets crop up and land, uh, what, what's the pitching going to look like next year? Yeah. But I, I just say too, just kind of looking big picture, not to cut you off. Yeah. You have two years to get this done, whatever this is, because players like Ethan Petrie don't come along often and you got two more years with him. That's a guy that could very well go number one overall in the 2025 MLB draft. Like he is that good. He had that kind of a year. You've got a two-year window here with a very, very – it's kind of like the Jadavion Young Clowney window for football is what I'd compare it to, that three-year stretch they had Clowney. Um, it's different for baseball because they've won national titles before. It's not the same thing. But I think you have a two-year window here where you have a very clear chance to go for it, to kind of use a pro sports term. Yeah, and I do think you probably feel, especially assuming all those guys take a step forward uh, yes. in the offseason or whatever, uh, you have a, a good feeling about your offense, um, which means you don't have to be perfect uh, from a pitching perspective, but you do need to be solid. And I think you need to have at least two guys that you feel like you can roll out there week to week, mm -hmm. um, and they're going to you know, 
give up less than three runs or whatever against the an SEC schedule, which that's gonna it's a big ask. We'll we'll have to see how how that yep. plays out. Starting pitching, um, especially, it can't just be bullpen arms. You you need at least one guy you feel comfortable starting games. Yeah, exactly. If you want to go ahead and think about next season from a baseball perspective, uh, Alan did put together five questions for uh, 2024 baseball. Um, that's on the front page of GameCocksGroup.com right now. I do think one of the only thing that we didn't talk about just now that I'm I'm seeing in your article was uh, freshmen. Like, do does Will Tippett uh, take a step forward? Um, do we see Austin Williamson taking a step forward? Um, what's this incoming recruiting class looking like? You know, what what people that we're not even thinking about, I guess, uh, could make an impact next season? Yeah, Williamson's an interesting one to me. He throws a lot of strikes. He's someone the staff clearly trusted. I mean, he threw two innings on opening day as a freshman. He's not going to start games. He's not going to be your answer. Oh, this is your Sunday starting pitcher. But I feel like that's a guy who can be a high leverage reliever. I mean, he pitched in the regional, which that's not common for freshmen. Um, I don't know. That's It's an interesting piece to be because he throws a lot of strikes. He's got good command. Um, he had 20 innings this year, um, 3.05 ERA. It's pretty solid. Only seven walks, 25 strikeouts. I don't know. That's kind of my – it's June – but breakout candidate for sophomores next year, other than Petrie, but that's kind of a given. Um, I kind of like Williamson. All right. Way too early look at this, but what do you think the expectation for next season should be? Do you think it's similar to what we're looking at as we're coming into this season? Obviously there's still a ton of variables to play out. Um, I mean, they've shown that they've done pretty well in the portal over the last couple of years. So, uh, you know, if we can pencil that in as there's going to be a couple of impact people added or whatever. Um, what do you think the expectations heading into 2024 should look like? At least a super again. I mean, I don't think you can take a step back and be happy with it, especially when you still have Ethan Petrie, when you still have Cole Messina, when you still have Talmadge Lee Croy. I don't think you can go backwards and be happy. So I'd say at least a super again. And yeah, you probably want to try to start pushing Omaha. Yeah, I mean, I used the football analogy last time of uh, you had your coach on a hot seat coming off of a 6-6 six and six season, and he won nine games, right? That's right. kind of what happened here. Um, but it's not like, yeah, that you went to a uh, BCS game or something like that where I know that that's not a thing anymore. What do you call those? The big – The New Year's Six? New Year's Six. You're getting, you're getting to like Jefferson Pilot territory. I know. Jeez. Sorry. Um Anyway, uh, it's not like you made it to a New Year's Six Bowl um, or a conference championship or, or whatever. So it's not like you've bought a ton of rope uh, there. So I think if you take a step back, then you're right back in the same situation that we headed into this season with. Um, it's, it's yeah, thin margin. I think Super Regional or bust for sure. I'm interested to see what the – because I think Mark's contract has two years left generally you don't let a coach fall under two because it's very hard to recruit with that. It's very hard to offer a class of 25 or 26 kid when your coach is under two years. So I think there's an extension coming almost because there has to be, you're not firing him right now, but what does that look like? Does the buyout get restructured? What path does that leave you moving forward? If you do flop next year and you know, I use, I think I used this example last time we talked about this, but 2016, you get to a super, it's a similar situation. You lose that super. 17, you miss the postseason completely, and Chad Holbrook gets clipped. You're going to have to extend Mark, but also it's not unprecedented that they 
if next year goes wrong, you you also need a way out of that. Yeah, it, it will be very interesting to see uh, what that contract ends up looking like, especially because we've seen that the board of trustees uh, is not particularly happy with the way some of the past major sports coaching contracts have worked out. Uh, probably Muschamp is the biggest example there. Right. Um, and I think that, that that played a factor in Beamer's hi- hiring and Lamont Paris's hiring, although not as much with Paris. I mean, they were actually in it with some pretty big names and it just didn't work out that way or whatever. But yeah, uh, that is any idea when we'll know something on that contract? Is there a BOT meeting this summer or I, whatever? I, that... look. I think there's just, I think they're, they're just going to have to do something just because, again, it's not the healthiest program move from a recruiting standpoint to have a head coach under two years. Right. Well, we will keep you guys posted on GameCocksGroup.com if we hear any rumblings of those discussions happening. Um, let's talk football a little bit. So I finally started the way too early uh, looks at game-by-game game of the schedule. Uh, if you guys are just listening and you're not a subscriber on GameCocksGroup.com, the very first one on uh, North Carolina is free. The rest of them will be premium articles, but go check out that free one. And if you like it, think about joining premium so you can see the rest. Um, so this North Carolina matchup, the, I, I, you know, I knew the the major headlines, right? Drake May versus Spencer Rattler or whatever. But th- this was the first time that I kind of dug into North Carolina's roster in general. Um, a roster that overachieved last year gets a whole lot of their production back except for a couple of receivers that are... Josh Downs' um, loss is going to be a big one for them to figure out. Right. Um, But I think there's an argument to be made that this uh, second resurgence of the Mac Brown era or whatever, that this might be his strongest team, his most complete team um, in that stretch. Now, I still think... That doesn't mean that I expect them to like be pushing for a playoff spot or anything like that. Uh, it's a tough division that they're in or whatever, but I do think that they should probably be penciled in in that second or third spot uh, in the ACC, probably in the ACC in general, but uh, definitely top of the coastal or whatever. Um, have you have you taken much of a look at what what's going on with that roster? Yeah, a little bit. Honestly, to me, even beyond the roster, it's more the new offensive coordinator factor, which I know South Carolina has that same thing, but you've got Chip Lindsey in there calling the plays now. That's a different kind of hire to Dowell Loggins because he has a lot of college football experience. Obviously, he was on the Gus tree at Auburn. He was a head coach at Troy. Um, But it's still a new – it's going to be them putting a new system in too. It's obviously South Carolina putting in a new system Week one's always weird. We've had this conversation a few times. We talked about it last year with Georgia State. That game got kind of wonky. Can we call this the most confusing game on the schedule? I think that's fair. Yeah, so as I was breaking it down, it very quickly became apparent that this is strong versus weak for both teams, meaning I I think both teams have uh, a strength on offense versus a weakness on the other team's defense. I think – Probably South Carolina's defense is better than North Carolina's defense, but it's also probable that North Carolina's offense is better than South Carolina's offense, or at least has more proven uh, returners and stuff. 
And one thing that really stood out to me that I didn't realize is how good they were on the ground and how deep they are at running back. Um, so Elijah Green's probably the biggest name to look at there. Scored eight touchdowns last year, had 558 yards. Um, but really, I thought uh, the entire running back room looks better, especially if you compare it to South Carolina's, although most yeah. teams right now do. So I when I started to like think about, cause I, I, I make a prediction in these articles. When I started to think about what a final scores are looking like, I couldn't see either team being kept under 30, which sounds like it's going to be really exciting, but also sounds like it's going to be really stressful. Yeah. It's you think of, you talk about like a, just a week one game as like an event as the season's here and you're excited. And it's going to be in prime time. We talked about a couple episodes ago, game day might be there to high score. ball. this is, I don't want to say it's what you want week one, but it's definitely interesting. It's it's a game that would mean a lot to win. Like you talk about springboarding a win that and what it can do for the rest of your season. Um, yeah. Yeah. And and like you said, it's really hard to predict game ones. Uh, a lot of times there's a lot of dysfunction happening. Um, when we think about some of the positions of concern for South Carolina heading into the season, I think we would both put offensive line at maybe number one, if not – it's number two behind running back. Um, really? I thought I had edge number one. As your position of concern? Yeah, I just – I don't really know. I mean, you feel a little bit better coming out of the spring game? Uh, maybe two behind yeah. running back. But yeah, I, and, you, and you pick up Jatias Gear. I've, I feel better about – I mean, they're probably – it's probably number three. I'm not saying I feel great about edge, but I feel better about edge than offensive line for sure. I don't know. I feel like you go into that UNC game, and if Drake May's got time to pick you apart all day, he's going to, and that – yeah, well, like you're gonna get tested immediately there, I guess. Yeah, I, and I, I do think they're gonna score some points, but uh, the point I was trying to make is I think that North Carolina has one of the weaker front sevens, uh, that you're gonna see from a power five opponent at least, uh, next season. Yeah. So that's gonna be good for an offensive line that's trying to gel and trying to figure things out, trying to give Spencer Rattler time, trying to find holes for this hodgepodge of a running back room that we have right now. Um, so like I said, I think it's strength versus weakness or, um, there are favorable matchups, but there are favorable matchups for both sides, uh, which is going to make it really, really interesting. And I think very maddening, uh, if you're a South Carolina fan, cause I, I did pick them to win. I picked them to win like 35 to 34 though, um, which sounds like we're going to be biting our nails and, and it also, I, I could see it being a game where it's who has the ball last, you know? We're going to do – well, I guess we can do totals and over-unders again closer to the season like we did last year. Over-under 45.5 passes for Spencer Rattler in that game. I think that that might <laughs> – That might be a little high, but they're going to have yeah. to throw the ball 40 times to win this thing, I think. I think his over-under like average for the season, season. is going to be 40-plus yeah. per game. Yeah. Um, and we've talked a little bit about it. They're going to have to get the screen game going. Um, take some pressure off of that offensive line. Uh, but I do think you have a decent favorable matchup here. And then we'll talk more uh, in the coming weeks about the the first few weeks of the season. But outside of that Georgia game, you have some tests, but you have some, you have some swing games. Some time I mean, to figure things we out. We always yeah. talk about games that can tip your season. It feels like a lot of them are early. That feels like a coin flip against UNC. You probably like your odds against Mississippi State at home, but that's not a lock by any means. Got to go to Tennessee. Like, I don't know. You could be four and one or one and four coming out of September. I don't think either one would surprise me that much. 
I think this North Carolina game is definitely crucial uh, yes. for how your season's going to go. Um, now, granted, we thought like Missouri and Florida last year were crucial for how your season's going to go too, and then you beat we've Tennessee seen the, Clemson. <laughs> I say then we've seen this team kind of turn on a dime. So um, you obviously don't put everything on week one, but I do think you need to come out of the gates uh, firing. And also, I think this is an opportunity for for your new offensive coordinator, like you brought up, uh, to get comfortable against a defense that's definitely not the best that you're going to see this season. It's going to have to, because like you said, there's no soft opening here. There's no easy landing. There's no – you're going to have to probably score 30 points week one to have a chance to win. That's just the reality of it. Yeah, so we will see who wins the uh, the rematch of the 2021 Duke's, Duke's Mayo Bowl. Bowl. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, I, I I think probably North Carolina has a circled on the calendar after that devastating loss in such a high pressure game. <laughs> uh, all right, uh, we will talk more about each opponent uh, as we head through the summer. Like I said, I'm writing uh, preview articles on GameCocksGroup.com that you uh, can go check out. But let's talk a little bit about next season, next, next season, um, 2024. So we we have kind of talked through the summer, Texas and Oklahoma officially being added in 2024. We were thinking that they might figure out a long-term solution for scheduling um, at the SEC coaches meetings, but that did not happen. So we're still at games, um, completely open divisions, we're heading into 2024 and now we have p- opponents we don't have a full schedule we don't know what the dates are whatever but we have opponents and we have where those games are going to be played i'm going to run down south carolina's real quick and let's react to that and then we can talk about the schedule in general on the sec so we found out the south carolina will have home games in the 2024 season against lsu texas a&m ole miss and missouri and they'll have away games at kentucky alabama Vanderbilt, and Oklahoma. What were some of your first reactions uh, upon seeing those opponents for 2024? Uh, two takes. One, the OU game's cool. Beamer reunion. You're a year late on Rattler, but still, there's some ties. They never played before. South Carolina's never played Oklahoma in football anywhere. So that's a fun trip for South Carolina fans. Um, second one, no Georgia, no Tennessee, no Florida. That sucks. I like rivalry games. I like college football. I understand if you're a South Carolina fan, you might be happier to see Vanderbilt or Missouri or Kentucky or games. You might have a better chance to win or whatever, but what are we doing here? If we're not playing rivalry games, that's no fun. Yeah. I think that's been the general consensus that I've seen on Twitter that I've seen on our forums um, that obviously if you're handpicking three teams from the East uh, that you want to play year in and year out, Kentucky, Vanderbilt, Missouri probably works best for your win loss or from the former East, I guess. I mean, the current and soon-to-be former East. Um, But, yeah, you're getting rid of rivalries that had started to build a little bit. Um, Obviously, you were a late addition to the SEC coming in in 1992, but I think you had pretty much established rivalries with Georgia, Florida, Tennessee. Um, I think you probably, at this point, based on the last few seasons make that trade between Georgia and Alabama from like a chances to win perspective. Although you probably don't want to play either if you can help it. Um, But 
just from like the yeah the how much that game matters uh i mean you've you had that 2010 game against alabama which has them sort of pissed i guess sometimes but i think they're well over it after yeah the way that the rest of the last few the rest games of the decade went yeah yeah uh so yeah there's just not a whole lot there i am excited about the oklahoma game i think i'm gonna try to make it out for that one uh, it's pretty close to or closer to where i'm at and also i've never been out there um i mean you definitely have established a rivalry with missouri i wouldn't want to get rid of them either but it, i would take any of those three over missouri so it's, it's yeah and like a&m like all right do we care about the bottom trophy that much do we really yeah. like, do we care about that more than the Tennessee or the Georgia game? So the real question becomes, do you think that the way that the schedule is laid out has any indication of how a potential nine game pod or it's not pods, but you know, permanent <laughs> opponent sort of thing would be, do you think that the three permit, if, if they go to that nine with three permanent opponents, do you think those three permanent opponents are on this schedule? No, because I think if you actually had three permanents, you'd have Georgia in there. Um, you'd like to think so for sure. I think so. Which may, maybe they would be the ninth game, you know, if in that. I kind of think they season. would. I know that's a game. I mean, Georgia. If you're doing it the other way, you're ranking SEC rivals for Georgia. Probably Florida one, Auburn two, maybe South Carolina three. Definitely Florida right. and Auburn ahead of South Carolina, but they could reasonably be third. Yeah, so if we're looking at Georgia's schedule for 2024, they have Florida and Jacksonville. They kept that, obviously. They have Auburn. They have Tennessee. They have Alabama, which that one's going to be really fun. At Tuscaloosa, yeah. Um, but yeah, and then they have Kentucky from the East, which it seems like it would make more sense to have South Carolina instead of Kentucky from the East. But again, maybe I have to imagine that there was a discussion about Kentucky and Vanderbilt and who gets to play them, which is kind of crappy i'm sorry if you're no, fair to kentucky yeah. <laughs> yeah okay two sbc games last year you're right they're not on the same level vanderbilt is obviously but i get what you're saying they're not helmets they're not brands if you're running a stadium they're not bringing a huge contingent of road fans into your college town for the weekend like texas or lsu or ou yeah uh, and i i have to imagine even though probably those athletic departments don't want to admit that they're a lower tier or anything like that uh, that there had to be discussions around who gets to play the lower tier teams um, and and trying to balance, all right, well, South Carolina's got LSU and Alabama. Well, you got to give them Kentucky and Vanderbilt too to try to balance that out. Well, yeah, bit. and you just look at the road games in 24 for South Carolina. Now, I will say, other than Clemson, you, your non-con's as soft as it's ever going to be. You've got Old Dominion, Akron, and Wofford coming to Willie B. But your road games in 24 are going to be Clemson, Oklahoma, and Alabama for three of those yeah and kentucky at kentucky has not been a gimme um and then at vanderbilt's your other road game but now you're gonna sell some tickets though lsu coming yep texas a&m coming always goes coming for the first time since the sandstorm game yeah that's see that's actually a sneaky tough part of that schedule assuming that things continue on the trajectory that they have since kiffin's gotten there um, I think you'd rather have Mississippi State if you could have if you had got a choice year. between the the Mississippi schools, right? You got them yeah. this year though at home. I think too, and we're not going to know until probably about September. I think they announced it last year. Your order here matters a lot. All right, who you playing the week before Clemson? Oh, I think they actually have Wofford the week before Clemson, but you know who are you who's 
do you have a back-to-back of Alabama and LSU in there? Are those games spread out? Do you get Vanderbilt sandwiched between Alabama and Oklahoma and you can kind of rest up? Like, I think sequencing matters here in terms of how tough it is, and you're just not going to know that for another few months. When you're looking at the SEC schedule in general, because um, I think, yeah, we're pretty much on the same page that we're a little disappointed that you don't end up with those traditional East rivalries and LSU and Alabama one season is going to be really tough. Uh, who do you think got the best draw? And keep in mind, this is only for the 2024 season, right? Like, Yeah, that's our, the important thing. We think that maybe they could do home and homes with these or whatever, but we don't know what they're going to do. They might go to nine teams. They might do these permanent opponents. The whole thing could look completely different. But anyway, for 2024, who do you think got the best draw? A&M. I mean, you, you, when you also factor in uh, A&M, the playoffs going to 12 that year. They're going to have a junior class that year that was the number one recruiting class. And you've got, first of all, they get the Texas game at home. I know that was a big thing of who's going to get to host the first one back. So they won that battle. They got LSU at home. Their toughest road game on paper is, geez, Florida, South Carolina. Like, they avoid Bama. They avoid Georgia. Um, avoid o- Oklahoma. Yeah, I think A&M's got it here. Yeah, you do have kind of a road game or a neutral side game against Arkansas and Arlington. That's always a, a wild one. Um, Texas, I mean, that's what we were hoping for, right? Need that Texas, Texas a I'm game. looking forward to that. And then, yeah, LSU. But like you said, they, they, they're they one of two teams that avoid Alabama and Georgia. Um, I would say another team that you could talk about having a potentially easiest road is Arkansas. Same reason they, they don't have Alabama or Georgia. They got that Texas A&M game uh, in Arlington, so they only have three three true road games, Missouri, Auburn, Mississippi State. All those are very doable. Um, and their toughest home game, LSU, Texas, Tennessee. Home schedule is kind of tough, but, um, you know, you have the home field advantage in those, and if you take care of business against those inferior opponents on the road, uh, I think you feel pretty good about it. And you're going to be 50-50 with Texas A&M and Arlington, right? So, right. Uh, but... I do think Texas A&M, you also have to factor in talent level, like that number one of all time recruiting class or whatever should be juniors next year. Um, so that that does kind of feel like this is the year if you're going to make something happen for them that you have to make something happen or that hot, that that warm seat of Jimbo Fisher yeah. gets blazing hot. Yeah, I'm with you there. Um, what about tough toughest draw that you could tell? Can you call it a tough draw if it's the same as it was? Because Auburn's got Bamba and Georgia, but they've had those two forever. And I'm glad they do because those games are awesome. Those rivalries are important and they shouldn't go away. But they are the, I believe they're the only team that got Alabama and Georgia. Yeah, and you see that uh, it looks like the SEC scheduling tried to offset the same way that they tried to offset South Carolina getting LSU and Alabama. Vanderbilt, gave, Missouri, Kentucky. Yep. Exactly. They gave Auburn, Vanderbilt, uh, Missouri, and Kentucky. But yeah, I mean, I think anyone that has both Bama and Georgia on their schedule is in contention for the for the hardest schedule, even if it is the way that it's always been. Um, I mean, South Carolina always plays Georgia and Clemson, which means they're gonna right. have one of the toughest schedules in the in the country, but that doesn't make make it not tough. Right. Uh, was there any other team? We were talking about this before, and I I already lost it but was there any other team that had to play both georgia and alabama outside of auburn i don't think there was no i think oklahoma's in there for toughest too you've got bama lsu on the road (laughs) Auburn on the road tennessee coming to you the josh heupel bowl 
Yeah. So Oklahoma has their most difficult games or almost all their difficult games at home or neutral, but it's quite a slate. I mean, Texas, Alabama, Tennessee, South Carolina. Um, and then, yeah, like, like you said, they're having travel to LSU. That's a, that's a rude introduction. Also, we don't know how good they are. We don't know how good friend, I mean, they went six and seven last year. Like that's going to be a big, that's what I'm looking at this year for sure. Like just what do they look like in their last year before the SEC? Can Brent Venables kind of steady the ship there? Yeah, and you compare their draw to Texas's draw. I mean, I guess Texas got Georgia, which is the same as Oklahoma getting Alabama. Um, but Texas doesn't have a Tennessee thrown in there. Uh, right. Texas doesn't have get Florida an LSU thrown in there. Um, yeah, they have Florida at home. And they have Texas A&M, which that's going to happen probably every year. It better happen every year. Yeah, geez. Um, <laughs> what are you here for if not? <laughs> but, yeah, I, I – that is kind of funny when you compare both coming in that Texas got a seemingly much easier slate outside of if you consider Georgia better than Alabama. Well, then also too, I think some people were up in arms about this and they it'll flip every year. Texas got the extra home game. Like the red river counts as an OU home game. So they only have three actual sec games in Norman and Texas got four. Yeah. Which, yeah, you imagine that that's going to play itself out, but, um, doesn't help in 24 for no, OU. It does not. It does not. Um, yeah, man, what a what a world if we – I mean, we could see a lot of things happen depending on uh, how Oklahoma grows in that, in that time period. But we could see a Brett Venables on the hot seat with that schedule finishing in the bottom half of the SEC their first season in. That's going to be quite the narrative I think. with two home games against former Oklahoma people and Josh Heupel and Shane Beamer. Yeah. That, yeah, that they let go, <laughs> not let go, but you know, like the, if one they, of them comes in Norman and beats Brent Venables, I don't know. Yeah. Although if you're a South Carolina fan, maybe you're kind of hoping that Brett Venables stays around over there. Yeah. For a while. I think you kind of do. <laughs> Cause it wouldn't surprise me at all to see him end up back at, uh, Clemson if if not but that's that's way down the road or a little bit down the road at least all right uh we will have a lot more offseason looks at uh football over the next coming weeks and oh one more thing before we go a little bit of basketball news uh next week look out for the NBA draft Gigi Jackson is expected to be a borderline lottery pick um I don't think he's going to be lottery anymore but yeah, I've, I've kind of seen him slip to the back of the first round and more of the mocks, but we'll see. Maybe a team likes him. Still probably uh, going to be the highest, one of the highest, if not the highest, uh, drafted South Carolina player ever. Um, and then we have a couple of 2024 basketball opponents that just got released as well. Yeah, they're playing a tournament. Well, Lamont Paris actually mentioned this without specifics at the Welcome Home event, but it's confirmed. They're playing a two-game tournament in glendale arizona it's the weekend of the vanderbilt home football game november 17th and 19th uh or kentucky home football game excuse me they're going to play depaul on the friday and then either san francisco or grand canyon on the sunday so a couple games yeah let's uh let's keep that non-con schedule as light as possible for now i know they already have tech too don't forget that they're playing them in charlotte the week before yeah, I know there was a philosophy for a while under the early Frank Martin years of like play the hardest teams and, and go after it or whatever. 
Um, and I do think there's something to be said for the growth involved in that, but I think we're still in get whatever wins you can get yes. sort of era right now. <laughs> I'm interested to see how the rest of that non-con schedule gets filled up because I believe you have five games confirmed now. You've got DePaul, Grand Canyon, or San Francisco, Clemson, East Carolina, and Virginia Tech. That might be about all you need in terms of tough opponents. You're kind of stuck yeah. in there, but yeah, I think so. Um, all right. So we'll be back here next week to talk a little bit more football. Uh, any other news that happens in the meantime, probably talk about a couple of new recruits, which I'm looking forward to. Uh, in the meantime, go check out gamecocksgroup.com. Plenty of content on there every single day. And we'll see you next time.